Good morning. And Happy New Year to all of you. It's good to see you here in worship. Uh, Before our scripture readings this morning, I I wanted to uh, make a personal comment. Uh, If you have been watching the news or you follow on social media, you may have in the last couple of days uh, seen some reports about the United Methodist Church and a proposal that has been brought forward. Uh, If you haven't, uh, then there's something out there for you to go find and read. Um, I I just wanted to let you know that I will be commenting in more detail in my uh, article in the Tuesday email newsletter. Uh, So I know all of you read it, so I didn't even need to mention it. You'd see it. Uh, But please be sure to uh, read it. I'll be summarizing and linking to some important, accurate information. I just want to say today um, that it is a proposal Uh, It is not a a done deal. It is not written in stone by any means. Uh, It is a possible way that we can move forward in the United Methodist Church past uh, what has been an an impasse and a difficult thing for us. Uh, So I would encourage you to read uh, my article on Tuesday. I I would also just also warn uh, that when you read news media coverage, or maybe you've seen it, Um, that sometimes the news media doesn't understand the nuances of the United Methodist Church and may not get all of the details exactly right. Uh, So so I will try to point you to what is most accurate. Now, two readings of Scripture for this Epiphany Sunday. The first, from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, beginning with verse 1. Arise, shine. Your light has come. The Lord's glory has shone upon you. Though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you. God's glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your dawning radiance. Lift up your eyes and look around. They are all gathered. They have come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on caregivers' hips. Then you will see and be radiant. Your heart will tremble and open wide because the sea's abundance will be turned over to you. The nation's wealth will come to you. Countless camels will cover your land, young camels from Midian and Ephah. They will all come from Sheba, carrying gold and incense, proclaiming the Lord's praises. And our second reading from the gospel according to Matthew chapter two, beginning with verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are least among the rulers of Judah. Because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me, so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went and looked. The star had been seen in the east, went ahead of them, until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. They opened their their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want this morning to try to describe a phenomenon that we've all experienced. Those times when all of a sudden something that has always been there is revealed to us and then it seems to appear uh, in a repetitive kind of way. It just seems to keep coming up. What we've never noticed before all of a sudden becomes so obvious. I'll give you a couple examples. About this time last year, I was reading a book about religious art and discovered the word mandorla. Mandorla. It's for a particular geographic, not geographic, geometric symbol uh, used in religious artwork uh, that is formed by the overlap of two circles. It's called a mandorla because mandorla is the Italian word for almond. It creates an almond shape. Its meaning in religious artwork is the overlap of two realities, like two circles that form a mandorla, like heaven and earth, or in the case of Jesus, his humanity and his divinity. It is used in many pieces of religious artwork, including uh, non-Christian art. Uh, It's been used around the world for for millennia. Now, here's the thing. Before I learned the word a year ago, I doubtlessly had seen thousands of mandorlas before that, but had never noticed it. But as soon as I learned about a mandorla, guess what happened? I saw them everywhere. I saw them in religious art. I saw them in in architecture. I saw them in in patterns on women's dresses and men's ties. I, I saw them everywhere. And you may be noticing right now for the first time that there's 20 of them in front of you in our stained glass windows. And you may notice when you come up to kneel at the altar today for communion that most likely you'll be kneeling on a mandorla. It is a common shape that most of us just don't notice until now. Here's another example. Uh, When my daughter was in high school, we bought her a Honda Element, Uh, not just any Honda Element, we bought her a used Honda Element that was emerald green. It was quite bright. Now, we were familiar with Honda Elements. I was driving a Honda Element, but until we found hers on the lot, I had never seen an emerald green Honda Element before. Now, my daughter immediately named it Elphaba, which is the name of the green witch in The Wizard of Oz and in Wicked. Some of you knew that. As soon as we bought Elphaba, guess what happened? There were emerald green elements 
everywhere we looked. And to this day, anytime we see one, even though we've sold my daughters a long time ago, we point and say, there goes Alphaba. You've experienced this, I know. That for whatever reason, something now has come to your attention and it seems to just keep coming up over and over and over. You, you see it everywhere. You hear it everywhere. Some refer to this as the frequency illusion as though now that I know about it, it's coming up in a strangely repetitive way. Some refer to this as the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. I encourage you to Google that later and find out why. The point is that, that even though we realize I've, I've just become aware of it, it feels significant. Sometimes it might even feel spiritual. Why does this thing keep coming up? Why does this keep coming to my attention? Is somebody trying to tell me something? I, I can't tell you how often after I preach a sermon, someone will say to me, I can't believe you preached that today. We were just talking about that this morning in the car on the way to church. I just read it in my devotion. I just heard it on the radio. Now, now don't get me wrong. I do believe that there are signs in the world that we're to pay attention to. I, I do believe that God uses things like this to get our attention. But the most likely explanation is simply that now that we're aware, we see what was always there. Now that it's come to our attention, now that it has significance to us for some reason, we see what was there all along. Because once we see, we become aware. Awareness leads to seeing. Seeing leads to awareness. Spiritually speaking, Thomas Merton, the monk, once said, we have what we seek. It is there all the time. And if we give it time, it will make itself known to us. And so today is Epiphany Sunday, that day we set aside to read the story about these foreign wise men, these three kings, these magi, as they're called in, in different versions of the Bible, who saw a star shining in the sky, a new star. And they followed it, believing it would lead them to a king. And they brought with them gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts suitable, fitting for royalty. We call today epiphany because the word epiphany means discovery, an awakening, an aha moment, a, a revelation, if you will. And, and epiphany doesn't have to be spiritual. Sometimes scientists have epiphanies. We all have epiphanies when all of a sudden we realize something we didn't realize before. But of course, biblically, epiphany has a different meaning. It points to that event where there was a star shining in the sky leading to the Savior of the world. Now, we don't know much about these wise men, these kings, these magi. We know that they lived far east of Israel. They weren't Jews. They weren't Jewish religiously. They weren't Jewish ethnically. They probably came from the lands of modern-day Iran or Iraq. That they're called wise men or kings implies that they were royalty. That they are called magi implies that they were likely astrologers, not astronomers, astrologers. 
People who look to the stars for particular significance, meaning, signs in the heavens. And so as they were looking to the sky for a sign, they saw a new star and they followed it. Now, I hope this doesn't wreck your understanding of Christmas. The wise men didn't arrive on Christmas Eve. They saw the star on Christmas Eve and began what was a very long journey. Many months they traveled following a star. Just for a moment, think about that. A sign in the sky that to them spoke of something historically meaningful. They loaded up their camels, they loaded up their entourage, they loaded up their special gifts, and they headed out, believing this star would point them to something important, a long journey in search of a king. When they finally arrived in Jerusalem, where the home of the king was, they went to the palace and they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Surely they would know. We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. Now they went to the palace of King Herod. King Herod didn't know anything about it. Now think about that for a moment. This star was so bright that from a very distant land they could see it and follow it, but supposedly the star was shining right above King Herod and he hadn't even noticed, nor had anyone else. Verses three through five, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled. Everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, Bethlehem of Judea. Notice his response. He was troubled. The king was troubled by the news of the birth of a baby. A king threatened by a baby. I mean, have you ever heard of a political leader being insecure? Now, why would he be troubled? Because King Herod was an illegitimate king. He was king of the Jews, but he wasn't himself a Jew. When the Romans had conquered that region, they had placed him as a puppet ruler. He knew that his reign was not secure. And the idea that a legitimate king might be born, a king sent by God, well, that was deeply threatening. Compare and contrast these foreign visitors and King Herod and even the priests, these foreigners who traveled from a distant land because they had seen a star. But Herod and the priests living directly under the star had never even noticed it. Wise men saw the star because they were looking for it. They watched the sky for signs. But Herod, the priests, were oblivious. The wise men saw an epiphany because their eyes were open. Because we find what we seek. And isn't it interesting how this particular star was interpreted? For the wise men, they saw the stars shining in the sky and they said, this will have historic significance. King Herod hears about a star in the sky and he hears, this is a threat to your rule. 
Wise men from the east see the star and they say, this is a sign of hope that we must follow. Herod hears about the star and it stirs up within him fear and insecurity leading to evil acts, violence and death. Once he knew where the child was born, once he knew when the child was born, Herod ordered the execution of all the infant boys in Bethlehem. A tragic, terrible story reflecting his character, the state of his soul. Thankfully, Jesus was rescued by an angel appearing to Mary and Joseph, telling them to escape. And yet the story is tragic nonetheless. The same star revealed both to the wise men and to Herod, and yet the meaning of the star pointed their lives in very different directions. The Celtic spiritual writer John O'Donohue says, there's an uncanny symmetry between the inner and outer world. Each person is the sole inhabitant of their own inner world. No one else can get there to configure how things are seen. Each of us is responsible for how we see and how we see determines what we see. Seeing is not merely a physical act. The heart of vision is shaped by the state of the soul. When the soul is alive to beauty, we begin to see life in a fresh and vital way. Clearly, the state of the souls of the kings was quite different than the soul of Herod. The other passage I read this morning has historically been interpreted as a prophecy of the king's visit. From Isaiah 60, arise, shine, your light has come. The Lord's glory has shone upon you. Through dark, though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you. God's glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, kings to your dawning radiance. Lift up your eyes and look all around. They are all gathered. They have come to you. Notice particularly verse four. Lift up your eyes and look all around. The prophet is saying, hey, wake up. Lift up your eyes. Pay attention. God is doing something and you might miss it. Get your head out of the sand. Quit quit focusing on what you're obsessed by. Look up. God is moving. God is going to do something for us. Pay attention. As many of you know, I'm an only child. Uh, When I was growing up, when we would go on vacation, often my family would go on long road trips, and I emphasize long. As an only child, I had the whole back seat, which means I would just lay down and try to sleep. Now, I should tell you, we didn't fly in my family, so all the trips were in the car. My dad hated interstate, so all of those road trips were on back roads. My dad never sped in his life, making every trip longer. My dad had a fascination with those scenic lookouts, you know what I'm talking about, where you can pull over on the side of the road and get out. We stopped at every one. <laughs> My dad also liked those historic markers. We stopped and read every one. I used to have a very distorted view of reality. I thought everything was very, very far away. We had family in Beaufort, South Carolina, and it would take an entire day to get there. The first time I drove past that exit as an adult, I got there in less than half a day. 
I never understood. But as we were driving on these long trips and I would be laying down in the back seat trying to sleep or read a comic book or play with a toy, whenever my dad would see something that he thought was important, he'd say, hey, get up, sit up, wake up, you're missing it. And I'd sit up and I'd look and I had no idea what he was talking about. But dad saw something that he wanted to make sure that I saw. I was missing it because I wasn't looking for the things that he was looking for. I wonder if we miss it all the time. I wonder if our lives are so consumed in busyness, troubles, difficulties, things that we obsess about, other priorities, that there might be epiphanal moments every day. And yet we miss it because we're not looking. It's right in front of our eyes and yet we don't see. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote in one of her poems, Earth's crammed with heaven, every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pick blackberries. It's of course a reference to the story of the burning bush and Moses. When I read this story of the three kings, I read in it an invitation to be more mindful, to be more spiritually awake, to strive to be more spiritually aware, to have my eyes open and my ears open and my mind open and my heart open so that when God moves in the people around me and in my own life, I don't miss it. Howard Thurman describes the spiritual life as saying, to move with reference through all of life, always seeking and finding, always building and rebuilding, always repenting, always rejoicing. This is to walk with God. Let me ask you an honest question. If there was a star shining out in the sky above this sanctuary, how many of us would even notice I hope all of us, I hope all of us would live our lives in such a way that we would look up to see what God is doing among us. It's an invitation to live, to watch and wait with eyes of faith. Richard Rohr writes, faith is a matter of having new eyes, seeing everything through and even with the eyes of God. May God give us all eyes of faith. May God reveal to us the epiphanies that happen every day. Amen.